Hey folks, welcome to a special edition of the Pop Culture Squadcast. I'm Bob Harrison, and in this episode we'll be talking with comic writer and artist Rafer Roberts, who is the co-creator of the comic Grumble, which is published by Albatross Funny Books. Rafer and I spoke about what has come before and what's on the horizon for Grumble. This book is definitely one of my favorites. The concept is fantastic, the art, dialogue, and creative execution is just wonderful. Mike Norton is the co-creator and artist, Marissa Louise does the colors, and Crank is the letter of this book. Well, here we go. Hope you enjoy our discussion. How's it going? Hey, how are you? Doing all right. All right. I have a, some questions set up here, so let's, let's kind of get right. started. So, question one. So, let's talk about the plot of the second arc that just concluded. We spoke, sure. a, we spoke about at the end of the first arc when you warned me that it was going to take place in different parts of Jersey. So what was your reasoning behind bringing the story to the Pine Barrens? Well, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. So that whole second arc is basically a love letter to the state that uh, formed me, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, I grew up on the shore, which is why uh, the first part starts basically in Asbury Park on the Jersey shore. But we, the state's not that big and we drive around and get lost and go into the Pine Barrens. And it was always just, you, you hear the urban legends growing up like Jersey devil. Sure. And then there's, um, it was actually an albino asylum down in the Pine Barrens at one point. So there's like, I mean, it's very, um, somewhat offensive, but sure. The Pine Barrens bands of albinos <laughs> that are going to murder you in the woods. Sure. Um, that in Sussex County, basically everything, everything yeah, bad happens there. Yeah, it's basically, um, it's just a very haunted state, and I just wanted to take all of the different uh, urban legends and myths and folklores that I had heard growing up and just sort of mush them all into one town and put it all in the Pine Barrens. That was awesome. So that's basically, it was, because some of the stuff is actually, uh, there's like a devil's tower that I put in the middle of the town, mm -hmm. uh, which is actually in North Jersey, but I relocated it. So there's a whole lot in there. That's awesome. So one of the great parts that I find in the book is the realism that Mike Norton puts into the visuals. Like, despite this out-of-the-world plot, and there's there's very grounded imagery. Uh, for example, when I saw the boardwalk in Asbury, it was immediately recognizable. Like, I, in fact, I took a picture of the of the comic and sent it to my cousin. He's like, oh, yeah, it's Asbury. Yeah. So well, so uh, yeah. what, what do you think that adds to the book? Yeah, I mean... Uh, when we said it, the first arc is in Baltimore and the second arc's in New Jersey, and we're, we're going all over the country, that it makes more sense if you're going to visit a place in the comic, you might as well actually go to that, feel like you're in that place, instead of putting... Uh, you read so many comics that play, take place in New York, but it's just got like a generic kind of city background, or like they go somewhere else and it's just like a generic city. If we're going to go to Baltimore, if we're going to go to New Jersey, there's got to be a reason for it. And you just want to, that city and that state or whatever community you're visiting becomes that next character and influences the story. Otherwise, it's just a name of a place that you put in the upper left-hand corner to say, this is where this story takes place. Sure. And it just becomes. So, and, and Mike is amazing at, because I'll send him some reference pictures, but he'll find his own. And he just really captures uh, the atmosphere of the city himself. And it's great working with him, knowing that, working with an artist that you know can actually do all this stuff too. 
<clears throat> that's awesome. That's really great. So we've you you and I have talked about this in the past about the emotional component to this cutthroat, morally questionable chase story. Right. Like, how do you go about bringing that through the crazy antics that occur in the book issue after issue? Like, there's this there's this tender piece that's always kind of there. What is how does it, how do you go about doing that? Um, well, I start with that. Uh, like, if you start with the weirdness and the craziness, then it's really hard to put that emotional in there. But if you start with that emotional core, and then you add uh, the craziness that comes out from that, or because of it, then it all feels right. It's not like you're just, I'm going to make this wacky story and shoehorn in some emotion so I can actually do it. It's the relationship between Eddie and Tala, especially in that second arc, is the heart of the series and all the weirdness is there as a fun uh, sugar to help the medicine go down, I guess. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So it's not even, it's not allowing the, the trick, honestly, for me is to keep from adding too much weird uh, and action. Cause I got this nice base. I don't want to cover it up completely. So it, it's more of just making sure I don't hide it all under uh, additional action and bizarreness. That's awesome. So in the next arc, what are we going to expect with Eddie and Tala? Well, I mean, at the end of uh, the second arc, they've kind of reached a better understanding of who each other is. Mm -hmm. And you can see, even in the second arc, they work better together as a team. Like they're, yes. they're learning. Like the whole, um, when they go to rescue Jimmy the Keeper, there's a lot of, unsaid things as they move because they're, they're working together as a perfect unit. They don't have to say what the next person's going to do. Though, and sometimes Eddie kind of takes advantage of that and just pulls out a gun unexpectedly or lights somebody's crotch on fire. Right. As, as he will do. But uh, as we move into the third arc, which begins in March, uh, it's Grumble, Memphis, and Beyond the Infinite. Uh, they're definitely working much better as a unit, but they do still have secrets sure. from each other. Big ones. Um, yeah, Tala especially. I think Eddie, all of Eddie's secrets are pretty much laid out on the table. Right. Uh, and it's interesting that Tala, the so-called uh, moral center of the book, is actually trying to pull one over on Eddie right now. Um, so, as you say, where's the emotion come from? It's Eddie still doesn't quite trust Tala because he, he senses... That she is keeping secrets. Well, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't think that Eddie would ever really trust anybody. No, he, everybody. Eddie sees everybody as he sees himself, and Eddie knows he can't trust himself. So why would he trust anybody else? Sure. And especially now that he has come to accept that Tala is, uh, and this is a minor spoiler, though we never really <laughs> tried keeping it too much of a secret that Tala is Eddie's daughter, that he starts seeing her even more devious because he's realized, well, she's even more like me than I realized originally. I should start keeping a better eye on her. And Tala for her part actually is trying to dick Eddie over, or at least is keeping a secret about how, uh, the mission across the infinite is going to go. But I can back up a little bit. It's no secret that the entire third arc is, uh, Eddie and Tala are going to rescue Tala's mother sure. is imprisoned on the other side of reality. Right. So the whole, so they're going to uh, team back up with uh, Tala's uncle Seamus, who's down in Memphis, and uh, his group of uh, army buddies. Awesome. As they, uh, 
in this arc, everybody is happy and friendly and they're working together, but everybody's still backstabbing each other, like right in front of their faces. Sure. Uh, sure. Like issue one or like the first arc, everybody has their own agenda and they're fighting each other. So it's very clear what the sides are, but by arc three, uh, the sides are a little bit muddier. Tala likes Eddie now, but she still has to screw him over. Right. Uh, Eddie likes Tala, but he doesn't trust her. And he, he's very much willing to screw everybody over as long as he can get out of danger himself. So even more so, just everybody's just bouncing off each other, uh, lying to each other. But also uh, our colorist, Marissa, who does an amazing job on the colors itself, actually very succinctly with the series is, Everybody in the series wants to love each other. They just don't know how. That's great. That's perfect. Yeah. That is, that is absolutely perfect. Yep. Yeah. It's like, it's like Jesus, I wrote this book and I couldn't even put it in as simple a sentence as that. Well, she's pretty amazing in general. Just she's, right. she's good like stuff. So how does the dynamic between you and Mike go in developing the plot? Like I know originally Mike came to you with this idea and you're like, yeah, let's go for it. Now at, at you get to this point, is there, is there still a lot of back and forth in terms of what, where things are going to go? At this point in the series, it's, it's the third arc. So plot wise, uh, the first two story arcs sort of dictated where this one was going to go. Sure. So all the discussion of what this third arc was going to entail took place pretty much long ago. The mm-hmm. minor details I'm putting in there just to surprise Mike, cause he likes that. Sure. Um, but yeah, the basic story, the basic idea of Grumble came from Mike, which was the John Constantine style con man gets stuck in the body of the pug and then uh, has a demon sidekick. Beyond that, everything else was came from discussions. And the idea of Jimmy the Keeper came from Mike having this weird idea of just a dude who turned into a warehouse and then maybe like, like, yeah, maybe uh, he's got something inside of him. And then I just turned into a five issue arc based around Mike's weird idea. And he still pitches me stuff like that all the time. And it's, and it's great. Yeah. Actually at this point, I can't even, as I'm going through the third arc, I can't quite say like what I made up on the spot, what came from Mike, um, what came from other sources. It just all blends together, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, it's like, I think it's like songwriting. Like, you can look at a song and you see, like, a bunch of names on the of who wrote the song. But if you listen to the song, you shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't be able to pick out the pieces that was done by one member of the band versus another. It should all blend together and be harmonious. Great. And I think that's what we're getting. We're getting at least really close to on Grumble, if not already achieved. So you're kind of you're kind of leading into one of the other questions I had here for you, which is basically, from my perspective, this book is the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. And don't take that as a slight in any any, but the group of you and you and Mike, Marissa, and Crank are all a fantastic team that fits together perfectly. And is that is that what you're trying to say? It feels like from the inside. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like we're each trying to. I'm definitely inspired and uh, pushed by Mike and Marissa and Crank to try to write a story worthy for enough for their art and for the coloring. Uh, and I, and I kind of think that they try to do that with the story as well. Um, yeah, we're just constantly pushing each other to be the best, but not, not like a slave driving, like, no, draw that better, but more of, holy crap, do you see what Marissa's colors look like? I better write better dialogue to go with this panel. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, kind of just that kind of thing. So, so in terms of the, this leads to the next question. So we're doing great here, uh, but the process in terms of production. So from the time you give the script to Mike, what parts of the process do you see, and how does that work for you? So do you get do you see that do you see the inked pages before they go to or as they go to Marissa? Do you see? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, I'll write the script. I'll give it to Mike. Mike draws the whole thing. Depending on deadlines, and we're pretty far ahead now, he'll ink the whole thing and give all 22 pages to Marissa. Uh, if we're tighter, then maybe he'll be feeding her pages as we go along. But, yeah, he'll give her the color. He'll give the, the black and whites to Marissa. At that point, depending on where I am, I might start going back through uh, and tweaking some of the dialogue based on what I see already. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll get the colors back. And I'll go through and I'll do another uh, dialogue pass, just looking at the script, making sure that, you know, again, like the dialogue is worthy of the comic that we've just made. And then it goes to crank. And then if every if we've done our jobs, then I'll have very minimal edits after crank has already lettered it. Usually minor tweaks or if I didn't quite eyeball the available space in a panel, if something's too tight, I'll go back through and I'll, I'll try to re- rework some dialogue, that sort of thing. But. No, it's all pretty straightforward. It's like it's just one one step at a time. That's great. That's great. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I know sales is a big factor in how long this goes on, and we've talked about that. And in today's market, getting two trades worth of a story on an uh, from an indie publisher is, is an accomplishment. So you're three in, but I could see this thing having some real legs in terms of a, a long indie comic story, long lines of like a chew or sweet tooth, something that went you know four, five, six, seven, eight. Trades, do you, could you do that? Do you have, is there enough story in what you have to, to continue on? Yeah, absolutely. But like you say, yeah, sales is a huge part of it. Both Mike and I are very, very committed to making as much grumble as humanly possible. And I know that uh, we don't want to do it without Marissa or Crank either. Uh, and I know both of them are really enjoying working on the book as well. But yeah, this third arc which would take us up to a total of 15 issues of Grumble, which is, in my mind, the first third of a much larger story. That's awesome. So, yeah. So it's like you got three trilogies. So we got issues one through five, which was uh, You're the Dog Now Man, then uh, six through ten, which was uh, Raising Hell in the Garden State. And then originally, uh, Memphis and Beyond the Infinite was just supposed to be issues 11 through 15, but the singles comic market being what it is, we're relaunching with a new number one and we're just going to do mini series from this point forward. It's uh, not, it's not uh, out of the realm. Of, like other people are doing the same thing in terms of, and I don't know if that's an albatross thing or, but like, I know that there are other um, publishers that are saying like, we're just, we're not going to keep numbering volumes because right. I don't know. I, I don't quite get the details behind it, but they're just going to, we're just going to call them different mini series. Yeah, well, I think the ultimate goal, um, the floppies market is uh, at best flat, I would say, right now. Sure. Uh, so what you're we're really going for is like bookstores, libraries, uh, that sort of, uh, it's too much cursing and grumble for me to say the school market. <laughs> I mean, that's another, another big one. The miniseries format for the trade from a market sense just really makes much more uh, sense for us. That's good. That makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I got at least 45 issues worth of main story 
in mind. Uh, that would be the Grumble Uber arc. Plus, I've already been talking about doing a few other uh, short stories uh, that take place between arcs, uh, a few more crossovers. I've got, I can't really say too much. Uh, I will say that there's a battle pug crossover, uh, planned in the works. That's awesome. And then a crossover with, uh, another series that you might've uh, mentioned earlier in this interview. Ah, I will say no more. <laughs> yep. I've heard of those types of things as well. What do you find most gratifying about telling the story, this particular story? Man, I mean, there's. You can say more than one. Written, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's like I've I've written, I've written a lot of comics. I've and, and, done a lot if, of stuff. There's just if I can feeling. if if I can interrupt. Yeah. Like I mean, I, yeah. I know you, I knew you some, and and I know this mean this story means a lot to you. Like that's why I'm trying. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. Like I know that this one really gets you. Yeah, it's just we're it's, it's all right working with albatross. This is about as close as you can get to self-publishing and having somebody else foot the printing bill, but sure. also having your back. It's and I don't say that to say that Albatross isn't doing anything for us because they're doing quite a lot. But uh, in terms of us being able to tell exactly the story that we want to tell, we have no interference with that. So every page of Grumble is the best page that we could do and as close as possible to what we wanted to do because you know, we make other comics uh you work for work for hire there's always an editor saying you can't do this you can do that and you still make some really good comics but grumble is basically us there's like very you read grumble you'd see rafer and mike and marissa and crank in it they were we're on every page and when I look at the final issue and I look at it and I go, this comic's fucking good. Mm -hmm. like, I really like it. I'm just very proud of it. And it's there's a certain gratification of, of getting that freedom to do whatever you want and then looking at the final product and being like, you know what, this is actually pretty good too. It's It doesn't happen all the time. It's very, it's rare. And the fact that Albatross is allowing us to even complete this first story that we set out to tell I mean, there was a time, our sales initially weren't great. There was a time we were like, shit, should we only do five issues? Should I try to rush this thing to finish? And then we're like, no, we're just going to, I don't care if our sales dip into the negative numbers. We're going to finish this thing. And it's, and it's really gratifying and really fantastic. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. That, that is really great. And it's just so weird. It's such a weird book and it all works together with these weird alien bounty hunters and, and this dickhead guy in the body of a pug. Uh, and just, like, there's sequences of it where I'm cracking up, and then there's sequences where I'm writing it, I'm actually crying. Sure. It just, it's, it's just everything I wanted to put into a comic, and it kind of all works. It's awesome. It's great. And I got to work with, like, really good people. I've become really good friends with the entire creative team, and it's really nice. Like, we work well together. There's no fighting. Yeah, that's it's, great. It, so what do you, what do you hope that, I know, I, so we've talked about what you got out of it <clears throat> and, and what you, what it means to you, but what do you, what do you hope that somebody sees in it? This is going to be a, a very egotistical thing. The first time I read an issue of Stray Bullets, uh, I was, it was like, it was issue 10 of Stray Bullets. I was home for Christmas, uh, like my freshman year of college. 
and I picked it up and I sat it down. I, I read it and it changed what I thought what comics could it, like it hit me in a different way, almost like an ASMR where you get like those little tingles and like the goosebumps on the back of your neck. Yeah, when you read something, it just hits you in that strange harmonic. Uh, that hits your brain exactly the right way, and it's the comic that you didn't know that you needed in your in your life. Sure, but now it's the comic that you can't live without. And if I can create, if Grumble can hit that same sort of feeling that when I the first time that I read Straight Bullets, that's what I'm going for. I just want to give people that same sensation. That's awesome. That's a that's a, that's a, that's a noble. It may be it may be a self filling goal, but but yeah. the, but the 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 feeling that the reader would get is a positive thing. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. The story, like I think I said in there, it's the comic you didn't know that you needed. Yeah. But now that you can't live without. Exactly. That's perfect. I may use that as a tagline. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. So then let's just wrap it up. So one more time, the details on Grumble coming to comic shops and stores in the next few months. Yes. Uh... Rumble, Raising Hell in the Garden State, the collection of the second art, drops in February, and that's issues 6 through 10. Volume 1 is available now in stores. Issue 1 is still free on Comixology if people want to check out Issue 1 digitally for free. Uh, And then Arc 3, Memphis, and Beyond the Infinite starts in March, and that goes for five issues. And, oh man, I've seen the entire first issue, and it is gorgeous. Awesome. Thank you. Even as good as the arcs one and two are, arc three is going to blow people's minds. That's great. That's great, great, great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. That was a lot of fun. Be sure to check out Grumble at your favorite place to get comics, whether it's an LCS or Comixology or Bookstore. It's a really great story, and it looks like it's about to get even more interesting. Thanks to Rafer Roberts for doing this. You can find him at PlasticFarm.com. And on Twitter, he's at Plastic Farm. Uh, the intro and lead-in music is Pray for Rain by Space and Time Band. Thanks again, and we'll see you later. Bye.